Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.20 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 19th of May, 2022. This is episode 592 of Bitcoin and Coin Corner dropped a bolt card. I was going to do this, talk about this on uh, Tuesday, but I missed the chance. Uh, bolt card. What? It's like a credit card. Actually, more, actually, it's a debit card. There's not a, we're not, we're not into credit around these parts anymore now, are we? And that's sort of something that I don't think we fully appreciate just how much we're actually getting away from credit. Or rather, you know, we, we should probably pronounce it correctly, debt. Because that's what credit is. It's debt. I won't, get into, I won't get into it because I don't think I need to. But I just am digging how the industry in, in Bitcoin, especially concerning Lightning Network, is uh, really looking at just cold hard cash for payments. And cash being, in this particular case, Bitcoin over the Lightning Network, which is really starting to spread its wings and stretch its legs and run and jump and fly. And it's just neat to see. So again, Coin Corner, that would be, you can go see this at coincorner.com, has released a Bolt card, or rather their Bolt card. So what is it? Well, the Bolt card is a contactless Lightning card powered by NFC and the Bitcoin Lightning Network. How does it work? Well, using a standard NFC card, the Bitcoin Lightning Network and LNURL, the Bolt card enables a user to simply tap the card on a point of sale device displaying a Lightning invoice and the Lightning payment is made in the background. This transaction is carried out over the Bitcoin Lightning Network and not a single legacy payment system is used. What can I do with the Bolt card? You may be asking. The Bolt card is one card with multiple uses. In this case, there's two uses. It's a debit card. Use the Coin Corner app to connect the Bolt card to your Coin Corner wallet and spend with your card like you would a debit card attached to your bank account. It also functions like a gift card. You can use the Coin Corner app to set up the Bolt card as a gift card for family or friends. The recipient can tap the card on their phone through NFC and sweep the Bitcoin into their own Lightning wallet. So is the Bolt card compatible with other payment gateways and wallets? Well, yes, it is. The Bolt card is compatible with current industry protocols, namely Lightning and LNURL, which means it's easy for other payment gateways to introduce the NFC capability to interact with the Bolt card. But what if you're not a Coin Corner customer? Can you still have a Bolt card? Well, yes, you can. The Bolt card is available to everyone, but some features like debit card functionality are only available to Coin Corner customers. 
not yet a Coin Corner customer? Well, you should probably sign up today. And no, Coin Corner is not, is not, I repeat, is not a sponsor of the show. Why, 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 why do I even tell you about this? Because you got to know this stuff is pouring out of people. And yet we're in the midst of a bear market. Don't tell me different. And what do we do? Get heads down and build. Did anybody stop building through this entire thing that's been going on for the last couple of months? No, not really. In fact, they started releasing, you know, other stuff. Like in this case, the bolt card came out and there's some stuff coming out of cold card and there, everybody is still building. That's, that's when, you know, you got a healthy ecosystem right there. Now, a poem by Rudyard Coupling entitled, If. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, but don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up again with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. If, by Richard Kipling. I found this poem yesterday, and uh, I listened to it. Oh, God. Michael... Uh, Oh, what was his name? Michael, it was, oh, okay. it was some British actor. I, I should know his name. Uh, I just li- put it on repeat and listened to this thing over and over and over again because there are some lessons in this poem that obviously apply to where we're at right now. I just read, told you about Bolt Card. The heads down keep building. You got all this shit running around. You got... We're going to get into like some of the aftermath of what's going on with the Luna and Terra thing because it's getting real ugly for those people over there. Luna just flat ass flatlined the, for the last couple of last couple of days. I I posted a, a graph of it yesterday and it was like it's just it literally looks like somebody died. It 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 looks like a heart monitor that just it just died. 
it's it's an amazing it's an amazing chart anyway this poem should you know it, it's important to me it, and it and it should express that during the wor very worst times if you can just keep going you'll own the earth and that doesn't mean enslave everybody it means being able to master yourself as we walk around upon this planet while we have the time that we are allotted here. Anyway, this is a good poem. You should go read it. Seriously. <clears throat> if by Rudyard Kipling. Now, Russia legalizing Bitcoin and crypto is a matter of time, says the Minister of Industry and Trade. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick writes it. Denis Manturev. Minister of Industry and Trade of the Russian Federation recently expressed his opinion that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies being legalized in Russia is just a matter of time, according to a report from Russian state news agency TASS. At an educational event called New Horizon, when asked whether or not Russia would be legalizing Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, Monterov stated, quote, the question is when it will happen, how it will happen, and how it will be regulated. Now, both the central bank and the government are actively engaged in this, end quote. Currently, Russian authorities are discussing the future of cryptocurrencies and mining. The Bank of Russia pushed for a complete ban on cryptocurrency, citing systemic threats to the current financial system. The Minister of Finance, however, has held the position that cryptocurrency should be legal and well-regulated, and President Vladimir Putin also pleaded with regulatory agencies to come to an agreement on the matter due to Russia's natural resource advantages. Quote, but everyone tends to understand that this is a trend of time, and sooner or later, in one format or another, it will be carried out, said Monterov at the New Horizon event. But once again, it should be legal, correct, in accordance with the rules that will be formulated, end quote. This past February, the Russian government approved the concept of regulating Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies based on a proposal drafted by the Ministry of Finance. During the same month, the Ministry of Finance also submitted a bill. The Ministry of Finance reportedly expects legislation regulating Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies will be introduced this year and is also working on the collection of tax as it relates to cryptocurrencies. Of course, of course you have to tax it. Of course, because you know, you as an animal can't exist without siphoning the blood off the masses. Be that as it may, Russia may very well <clears throat> legalize Bitcoin as a payments technology inside the country, which will be interesting to say the very least, but we will have to see. Now, what we're probably gonna see sooner is some serious problems for Terraform Labs we start with this one. Prashant Jha writing Cointelegraph. South Korean watchdog reportedly fines Terraform Labs $78 million for tax evasion. Right? This is just tax evasion. This has nothing to do with the collapse. Apparently Terraform Labs wasn't paying taxes all this time. Who, who knows? We're going to find out though. Terraform Labs and co-founder Du Quan continue to attract more legal troubles in the wake of the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. Yes, like moths to a flame. Only these moths are carrying fire extinguishers. After early reports of a possible congressional hearing and an investigation from Grim Reaper's financial crimes unit, the crypto firm has now come under the radar of the National Tax Agency. 
According to a report published in Navarre News, South Korea's National Tax Agency has slapped the Terraform Labs and its co-founder with a $78 million penalty for tax evasion charges. The report highlighted that Kwan was unhappy with crypto taxation in the country since last December and tried to liquidate Terra's domestic operations just before the infamous Terra lunar crash set in. Terraform's Labs reportedly first came under the radar of tax authorities in June last year on suspicions of evading corporate and income tax. The investigation into Terraform Labs and its various subsidiaries revealed that the company was registered in the Virgin Islands as well as Singapore. Although both the subsidiaries were registered abroad, the, quote, place of actual management, end quote, was South Korea itself. And according to Korea's Corporate Tax Act, the place of actual management is considered for tax purposes than the registered country. The tax authorities were alerted after Terraform Labs sent Luna from Terra Singapore to Luna Foundation Guard to avoid taxation or make up for the losses of Anchor Protocol. Earlier in October, Virgin Islands subsidiary of Terra were fined $3.6 million in income tax and $34.7 million in corporate tax. South Korea's law enforcement agencies and policymakers have come down heavily on Du Kwan and his associates in the aftermath of the Luna crash. A special financial crimes investigation unit called Grim Reapers of Yaudo was recalled after 2.5 years to investigate the project. Okay, Grim Reapers. We're going to get into that right now, but just before this, remember, this is just about tax. This has nothing to do. It was, it was brought to the attention because of the spectacular plunge and flatlining of Luna and, and Terra and all that, but this has nothing to do with investors or people losing their money, or people that are pissed off, or anything like that that has something to do with the losses suffered by Terra and Luna, respectively. No, no, no. This is just the tax authorities going, fuck, these guys have failed spectacularly. We should probably open up books and start looking at what they've paid in taxes. And lo and behold, they need to pony up $78 million, I'm sure, of which they do not actually have at this point. Because this shit's going to get way worse. Grim Reapers. What the hell are they talking about? Brian Neuer from Cointelegraph. Grim Reapers Financial Crimes Unit revived. Resurrected, so to speak. To investigate the Terra collapse. Legal troubles are mounting for the co-founder of failed Terra crypto project Du Quan as the South Korean government revives the dormant Grim Reapers of Yao Du to investigate Terra's fall. The special investigative and prosecutorial team consists of members from various financial regulators and is designed to prosecute securities fraud and unfair trading schemes. <clears throat> Potentially at risk are co-founders Du Quan and Shin Hyun Singh, along with core members of the Terra team. Yao Du, I think that's how you pronounce it, is in, or rather is the financial center of Seoul, South Korea. Korean news outlet SBS News confirmed on Wednesday that the Terra case would be the first the resurrected securities crimes joint investigation team would investigate. A representative from the team told SBS News that, quote, 
The Terra case caused severe damage to average citizens, which led us to designate this as the first investigation, end quote. Reforming the feared investigative team may be a political move by the new conservative president, Yoon Suk Shol, I can't pronounce the name, reversing the decision by the previous liberal Moon Jae-in administration to disband it. However, the severity of the terror situation is illustrated by the fact that it is the first case the investigators will handle in two years. The team earned the moniker, the Grim Reapers, due to the high-profile case it handled. One of the largest cases the team handled was the $1.2 billion Lime Asset Management Embezzlement Scandal. The team was disbanded before the investigation was complete, so that case is set to be reopened. Before being disbanded, the team racked up 346 arrests from 965 cases prosecuted from 2013 to 2020. Many in the community hold Kwan responsible for the collapse of the project. In South Korea, a group of Terra investors is also set to sue Du Kwan in civil court for damages and in criminal court for fraud. They will also push for the court to seize Kwan's assets. As reported by Moonhwal Ebo, Culture Journal, on Wednesday, the legal team involved in the criminal case will be prosecuting based on provisions in the Capital Markets Act, which is used to regulate financial aspects of the crypto industry, but which may be replaced by crypto-specific laws. The legal team at LKB and Partners, the firm handling the case, has a personal stake in the project, as partner Kim Hyun Kwan stated to Moonhwa Ebo, quote, some attorneys at the law firm were investors in Terra, end quote. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> a representative for the law firm did not immediately respond to a request for comment Kwan's legal troubles extend beyond South Korea as a resident of Singapore filed suit against Kwan last week on behalf of at least 1,000 other residents who had invested in Terra. Okay, so not only is he going to be pulled under the bus by this Grim Reapers group that's been brought back from the fucking dead, right? No, no, no. He's got lawyers who were previous investors in his scheme that are gonna go after him. It, it, we have this saying in the United States and probably in, in a lot of, of the Western world of there's hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Probably not as bad as when you take a lawyer's money. I, 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 if not equal, if not worse, then at least equal to hell hath no fury, right? <clears throat> yeah, and there's, for me, the first thing that the first thing that flags for me is I don't know anything about the legal strictures or structures in South Korea, but this smacks of well conflict of interest. I mean, do you really think that you're emotionally stable enough to do the proper legal research and execute a lawsuit in the court system when you yourself have been materially affected, right? It's not that they shouldn't do it. I don't care. I mean, Duquan gets thrown off a cliff. I literally don't give a shit. However, how effective can you be? That's the question. So 
I, I, I'm not sure how this, like, I'm not sure if this would be allowed in the United States. I think the lawyer, if this was in the United States, I think the lawyer in question would actually have to retain legal counsel outside of his own mind, rather his own counsel, and pay them to do the lawsuit on his behalf as a private citizen and not actually engage in the court system as a lawyer, him or herself, to be able to get recompense, okay? So, but if if they allow these guys to go after Duquan, because not only are they lawyers, but they got their ass handed to them by Duquan, that's some pissed off people right there. And I wouldn't want to, I don't know, man, I don't give Duquan two shakes of a stick to survive this thing legally um, because, well, Tara's legal team has resigned. <laughs> I mean, uh, with all the legal wave that's coming for Duquan and his team, the people that are were like, you know, for counsel of Tara, they quit. They said, adios, motherfucker. We're out of here, bro. Let's find out more from Sander Lutz and Decrypt.co. The industry-wide unrest generated by Terra's collapse last week continues to reverberate, this time within the company's own walls. Terra's in-house legal team has resigned, a Terraform lab spokesperson confirmed to Decrypt today. Counsel Mark Goldrich, Chief Corporate Counsel Lawrence Florio, and Regulatory Counsel Noah Axler all left their positions shortly after Terra's algorithmic stablecoin UST collapsed last week, bringing Terra's native token Luna down with it and wiping out $40 billion in value in the process. Quote, the past week has been challenging for Terraform Labs and a small number of team members resigned in recent days. The vast majority of team members remain steadfastly committed to carrying out the project's mission, a company spokesperson said in an email. It is unclear why the attorneys resigned. Oh, gee, I don't know. An unwinnable battle because you got caught with your britches down and you were in the, caught in the act of rug pulling? You know, just, just saying. Anyway, none of them immediately responded to requests for comment from Decrypt. In the days following the collapse of UST and Luna, Outspoken Terra co-founder Duquan has made multiple proposals for Terra's path forward. The most recent... Terra Ecosystem Revival Plan number two debuted yesterday and involves dispensing of UST permanently and splitting, also known as forking Luna, into the old, currently worthless coin Luna Classic, or LN, sorry, LUNC, and a new version of the coin redubbed Luna. The plan includes an airdrop of 1 billion new Luna tokens to former UST and Luna holders who got wiped out and to current Luna holders. Pitching the proposal on Twitter yesterday, Quan emphasized that the Terra community is my family. He went on to tweet, quote, I will always be here, no matter how hard it gets, end quote. Yeah, well, that family just got a little smaller. Yeah, his, his main, I mean, we're talking the general councils. These are the guys that are going to like that, that head up the section of regulatory. That means all the lawyers underneath them report to the general counsel. So what was it? General counsel of regulation gone general counsel of all of them. Okay. So this is general counsel, Mark Goldrich. And then you got chief corporate counsel, 
Lawrence Florio. Okay, so all the guys that are handling corporate law report to this dude. And then regulatory counsel, Noah Axler, is gone. So all the guys that were doing regulatory legal work reported to Noah. Noah and Lawrence both report to Mark Goldrich. Mark Goldrich, as general counsel, has left the building, ladies and gentlemen. There are no autographs. These guys are on fire. They are burning down. They will burn to ash. And if you think that that's not going to happen, I, I just don't think you should be listening to this show. I really, I really don't. They, I've never seen something so completely on fire. I've seen a lot of crap since I've been around this place in, since 2015. I'll say it, September 2015. That's my main entry point. And I've been, I lurked for like a whole year before I said shit about Bitcoin or anything. And I've seen it, I've seen several things burned down, but I've never seen anything so thoroughly soaked in diesel and lit on fire and burned so completely as this one. This is the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. I, I mean, OneCoin, BitConnect, the, you know, BCH fork, BSV forking off of BCH. I've, I've seen so much of it. I've never seen anything like this. Honestly, this is new. This one goes down in history as the most spectacular thing I've seen in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies since 2015. I mean, I wasn't here for Mt. Gox. So that's probably was pretty, you know, pretty spectacular to actually feel it. But actually watching this unfold, holy crap. And you know who else watched it unfold? Novogratz. Apparently, Novogratz is breaking his silence on the whole UST Luna collapse, and we get more from Jeff Benson, Decrypt.co. Reminder, he got a shoulder tattoo, or, well, a, an upper arm tattoo of Luna with a wolf howling in front of a moon or something like that. <sighs> Mike Novogratz is such a freaking douchebag. Anyway, there's <clears throat> been one person absently or absent from the conversation about the collapse of Terra's $18 billion algorithmic stablecoin and $30 billion network token Luna, investor Mike Novogratz. After not tweeting since May the 8th, right around when things started going pear-shaped for Terra, the founder and CEO of crypto investing firm Galaxy Digital today tweeted a memo to shareholders and stakeholders describing how it all fell apart. Explained Novogratz, who typically composes one to, to two tweets per day, quote, I have spent the past week reflecting on the economy and macro markets, our industry and Galaxy's place in it, end quote. Galaxy Digital has invested in the Terra ecosystem since September of 2020 before the Ethereum killer became a top 10 blockchain. Both Galaxy and Novogratz poured money into the network, a fact underlined <clears throat> when the latter recently got a tattoo of a wolf howling at the moon with Luna written underneath. Novogratz walks readers through the firm's investment thesis, highlighting a projected, quote, expansion of blockchain native payment systems. It was interested specifically in the Chai app, which has a solid user base in South Korea. He goes on to give his perspective 
on what went wrong, a combination of central banks unwinding a massive liquidity bubble brought about by expansionist monetary policies and higher fiscal spending and too much pressure on Terra to deliver high interest returns on users' holdings. Quote, UST's growth had exploded from the 18% yield offered in the Anchor Protocol, which eventually overwhelmed other users of the Terra blockchain. The downward pressure on reserve assets coupled with UST withdrawals triggered a stress scenario akin to a run on the bank, writes Novogratz. Novo asserts that Galaxy will be able to survive the crash because it did four things. Diversified its portfolio, frequently took profits instead of letting it all ride, used a risk management framework, and understood its investment would be impacted by macro events. That doesn't mean Terra's collapse won't hurt. As of December the 31st, Galaxy held over $400 million in Luna, a token that once sold for over $100 and is now worth, well, less than a penny. Last week, Galaxy Digital projected a $300 million loss for the quarter as its equity declined by 12% to $2.2 billion. Quote, with our diversified business lines, Galaxy remains in a strong capital and liquidity position. We are well positioned for long-term growth, he's nonetheless stated. As for what he's taking away personally, he says, quote, my tattoo will be a constant reminder that venture investing requires humility. Yeah, it also requires doing some due diligence, Mike. Jesus, you just got all of your investors run over by a truck. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids getting squelched a little bit today. West Texas Intermediate down 0.8, oh, nope, 0.6%. Just, oh, wow, 0.666%. Number of the beast, $108.86, which is now back below Brent North Sea, but not by much after a 0.03% loss, $109.08 per barrel of Brent North Sea. Natural gas down one and a half points, $8.24 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down just over a point to $3.68 a gallon. Shiny Metal Rock's doing well, and I'm very sure Peter Schiff is happy about that. Gold is up over one point to $1,834.90. Silver is up 1.77% to 22 bucks. Platinum is up $2. Uh, copper is up one point, no, $2. I'm sorry, 2%. Copper is up 1.6%, and palladium is down just over one. No, it just flipped over. Now it's down 1.5%. Agricultural futures are slightly mixed, with wheat being the biggest loser today at 1.75% to the downside, and soybeans the biggest winner, 1.32% to the upside. Corn is also up a quarter of a point. Anything else going on that's interesting? Cotton has lost 0.77% off its futures price. Uh, again, continue to watch cotton, especially as we get into a growing season out here in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, let's see here. Dow is going to be down 0.72%. S&P futures down 0.35%. NASDAQ is unchanged and the S&P mini is likewise unchanged. 
However, we have some downside momentum on the Bitcoin price at $29,664.63 with 1.4 million BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's just under 60,000 BTC being sent every hour on the average. Now, average transaction values is 5.5 BTC. Median transaction value is low at 0.02 BTC or 582 bucks. Okay, so not not quite so not quite as low. Now block times are high. <laughs> Finally, 11 minutes and 43 seconds. I kind of expected something like this to actually occur last week, but it has now happened at Oh, sorry. Let's do the fees. 0.136 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 16 and three quarters of a BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And after an 8.77% loss of hash rate, we're back down to 208.72 exahashes per second. But guess what? Do you have any idea how high 208 exahashes is as far as security of the network is concerned? It's really high. When I first got into it, hold on, let's just, let's, let me talk about that for just a second. Like, like I stated, uh, let's see, get all time going. Like I stated, um, let's see, yeah. I was in Bitcoin uh, September, yeah, let's say September of 2015. And right around that time, the hash rate was 397 petahashes. Peta hashes, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking like orders of magnitude below where we are now in hash rate. And yet we're going to have a mining death spiral. Apparently that's what, you know, everybody always says that's going to happen like this and it never does. And the hash rate that we have now is more than adequate to protect the chain. And we really shouldn't always be looking at, is hash rate high? Then Bitcoin must be high. The price, I mean. No, it just, honestly, it really, you shouldn't be thinking of it in terms like that because that's just going to get you screwed up. All right. So it, for those people out there that are freaking out, you know, don't. It's, it's honestly not that big of a deal. Now, Doge, your shit coin indicator is at eight and a half United States pennies. Not too long ago, it, would, it was riding up anywhere between 11 and 15 United States pennies. That was just a couple of weeks ago. No longer. No longer. Oh, well. 10,262 transactions are awaiting 13 blocks to clear. We have a $560.4 billion market cap, which is 4.63% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 16 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,043,842.18 of, and 3,824.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $112.5 million, being run across 17,042 nodes, sporting 83,429 payment channels that we can see, and 72% of all of it is being run over TORs, associated 11,943 Lightning Network nodes, or at least the ones that we can see, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the uh, news you can use.
Jack Dorsey's block wants to create economic empowerment with Bitcoin. Yeah, we knew that. What's different today? We'll find out from Namcios and Bitcoin Magazine. Block's overarching purpose is to drive economic empowerment in the world, and Bitcoin plays a central role in that mission, its chief executive said during the firm's first investor day since 2017 on Wednesday. Quote, we believe Bitcoin is going to have a profound impact on financial services, particularly as a tool for economic empowerment and as a global currency for the internet. Block's finance uh, lead, Amrita Ahuja, said during the online event following a statement that the company has just scratched the surface for driving further adoption of Bitcoin in the U.S. and globally. Honestly, guys, I would I would concentrate less on the U.S. and more on globally, but that's just me. Ahuja shared her thoughts after Block Chief Jack Dorsey opened the event with an introductory panel explaining the broader goal of the company and how it plans to achieve it. Dorsey, a longtime Bitcoin proponent, said that Block's approach is to create an ecosystem of ecosystems, with each business sector being dedicated to building an ecosystem on itself that can not only scale, but feed back into other ecosystems across the organization. Yeah, he's thinking like mycelium, and that's probably a good thing. Cash App's recent integration of the Lightning Network, Bitcoin's overlay protocol for faster and cheaper payments, is an example of how Block seeks to have different business units producing products that can feed back on each other. The money transmitting app added support for Lightning payments through the Lightning Development Kit, software developed by Spiral, an independent subsidiary of Block focused on developing and funding open source Bitcoin projects. Quote, Bitcoin is the best version of money, said Spiral lead Steve Lee. With our help, we believe it can become the world's preferred currency, end quote. Cash App was one of the first business units of the company that was then Square to integrate Bitcoin. The application added Bitcoin buying and selling capabilities along with a custody solution for customer funds back in 2018, its lead Brian Grassadonia said in the event. Since launching the feature, Cash App has had more than 10 million monthly active users buying Bitcoin in the app and the spread fees charged by Block on such purchases have become one of the main revenue drivers for Block. Cash App's gross profit has grown by 44x since 2017, Ahuja showed in the event. The integration of Bitcoin into Block's business model has become more widespread since Dorsey left his post at Twitter as Twitter CEO and now goes beyond a Bitcoin exchange in app. Okay, before we uh, continue on, I, I just want to say, when point of sale on my cash app, I mean, it's got to be obvious that it's point of sale for Bitcoin. I want to be able to, I don't know, let's say I'm, I'm farming mushrooms in my basement and I want to go sell them to you know, people at the farmer's market. Clearly, I'm not talking about magic mushrooms. I'm talking about, you know, edibles. Anyway, let's say I want to go do that. Honestly, I'm really uninterested, really freaking uninterested in taking United States dollars for anything at this point. It's just becoming such a shit show. So I would like to be able to use Cash App as a point of sale. And yet, I don't really see my an ability to create an invoice that somebody can pay me in Bitcoin with. And what I certainly don't see 
is something that I can create an invoice that will take any currency whatsoever and automatically convert it to Bitcoin on the backside. Like an integration with Strike would probably make that happen. I need that. I need that in my life. And what I also need for my life is the ability to show that functionality to a vendor. I want to go up to like my local coffee shop and say, do you guys take Bitcoin? And they say, no, we don't take Bitcoin. Do you use the Cash App? Why, yes, we use the back Cash App. I'm like, then you take Bitcoin. You already take Bitcoin and you don't even know it. And that would ignite the imagination of even a simple barista. But it will certainly ignite the imagination of the manager of that shop, or God forbid, if the owner is actually there working the shop that they own, it would ignite their imagination too. Because then I could say, look, you already know the Cash App. If you didn't know about this button, then let's let's go through it. And you can take it, take it through it right there. You end up being a sales force for Cash App. And you get to onboard somebody to Bitcoin at the exact same time. You want to talk about a sales force that you don't want to have to pay for? That's how you get one done. Let's continue the Bitcoin ecosystem. A core aspect of Block's business is what it calls the Bitcoin ecosystem, which falls under the emerging initiatives of the company that are not as established as Square or Cash App, which have both found product market fit and managed to scale their business model according to Ahuja. In addition to previously mentioned Spiral, Block's Bitcoin ecosystem is composed of an open source business called TBD and the company's Bitcoin wallet and mining initiatives. The Bitcoin wallet. Well, Block seeks to create a Bitcoin wallet for the masses, uniting security and ease of use to make self-custody accessible to those new to Bitcoin. The product aims to encourage regular folks to hold the keys to their Bitcoin funds as opposed to resorting to custodians amidst more complicated self-custody setups that are popular today. In the same way that Spiral's LDK helps developers and businesses more easily integrate Lightning to their applications, Block wants to facilitate self-custody for end users, explained Block's Bitcoin hardware wallet lead, Jesse Doragusker. I think that's how you pronounce it. Quote, if you don't have the key, you don't have the money. We want to build a safe and easy way for people to custody their own Bitcoin. Our wallet breaks up the secret key into three pieces, mobile app, hardware device, and a self-service recovery tool. End quote. The company seeks to avoid single points of failure with this approach, which it claims can improve the user's experience around Bitcoin self-custody, which currently revolves around 12 or 24 seed words. Bitcoin mining ASIC. Block's Bitcoin ventures also extend into the mining industry. The company said it is focused on creating an open system that would cut back on the concentration around Chinese manufacturers of Bitcoin mining ASIC chips. The approach, an open source setup, has the potential to reduce risks and increase competition, Dora Gusker said. Quote, we want to build our own Bitcoin ASICs. Our ASICs will be available for sale and will all be open source, Durusker said. The company had previously stated that it would develop an open Bitcoin mining system, and a job post by Block was spotted in January seeking a team to produce next-generation Bitcoin mining ASICs. However, this was the first time that the company shared that it would be producing an actual Bitcoin ASIC, which would be open source. Decentralized Bitcoin Exchange 
in addition to a Bitcoin wallet and a Bitcoin miner, Block is also tiptoeing into bridging the traditional finance world with the burgeoning system through the cryptic TBD unit. Quote, TBD's mission is to bridge the old to the new, said TBD lead Mike Brock. Quote, we are building a new open source company from the ground up focused on open protocols and open standards that all participants in the economy can benefit from. What Red Hat did for Linux, TBD can do for money, payments, and identity. Brock went on to explain that under the old model, as he calls it, which relies on centralized entities, 1.1 billion people are unable to prove their identities. TBD wants to bring a secure, decentralized identity standard to enable not only such customers to benefit from a more accessible and fair protocol, but also for businesses to lower their costs. Quote, under the new financial system, you can create your own digital identity and use all those services that require identity verification, Brock said. Quote, you can also create a digital wallet to hold Bitcoin and stablecoins, and you can convert stablecoins into Bitcoin directly without leaving the app because it's integrated to the TBDEX. Quote, if we're going to have an internet native currency, we need trust, and trust comes from time, openness, and transparency, which are principles that are embodied in the Bitcoin system, Brock said, when asked by Dorsey why he believed in Bitcoin in the first place. Quote, we are building a network that provides better experiences for financial access around the world, Brock said in closing thoughts. Just as Square caters to businesses and cash app targets consumers, so Block's Bitcoin ventures seek to provide a roundup of solutions that collectively empower retail and institutional investors in the decentralized and digital economy. Amidst a sea of early stage Bitcoin initiatives, most of the details remain unknown as the company takes steps toward building its products by iterating between ideation and feedback gathering from the community. It remains to be seen whether Dorsey will be able to stir the corporate ship to enhance economic empowerment with open Bitcoin systems beyond the independent work of Spiral. Thank you, Nomsios, for that one from Bitcoin Magazine. So, again, all I want... All I want and need right now is a point of sale button in Cash App that either does what Strike does or they work a deal out with Jack Mallers and Strike to integrate Strike's capabilities of just sending fiat money over Lightning and Bitcoin rails and have it instantly converted on the other side to whatever the hell it is you want. Hey, look. I'm sitting in the panhandle of Texas and I got like some, some tourist from Japan who wants to pay me in Japanese yen for my tasty mushrooms. You got it, buddy. I still don't like yen. Why? Because it's fiat currency and I don't like fiat currency. So what I would like to be able to do is in the middle of the Texas panhandle, be able to accept yen and have it instantly converted to Bitcoin and goes directly to self-custody. And I do it all by... In- creating an invoice on the cash app, on my phone, at my stall, at the farmer's market, and the tourist just scans the QR code and boom, it's done. The fact that cash app does not have a point of sale for me on my phone without getting square or whatever that their actual point of sale is, is beyond me. I I don't know if it's a regulatory hurdle or not. 
but this needs to happen. So if you know, if you happen to be listening and somehow you or whether whatever you've got Jack's ear, could you please, please, please tell him to put a point of sale lightning network invoice generator onto cash app so that I can go wrangle up vendors and say, look, it's not as hard as you think. Check it out. We can, I will teach you how to do this in 15 seconds. And we can talk about the particulars on the other side of that conversation on the other side of that transaction. I'm just saying, man. I mean, I think that would be super freaking cool and useful. Yield curve inversions. Mm, let's find out more about some of these terms. I keep trying to do this. I, I really want... Like, I would love to have get to know Greg Foss really good and say, could you come on the show every once in a while to do an educational segment like once a week? Like, what the hell is a yield curve? What the hell is inversion? How does it apply to the euro dollar and Bitcoin? Well, at least James Lavish has written something about it for Bitcoin Magazine. Let's get into it. As Lynn Alden explained in this thread, quote, 10 to 2 curve is saying we're probably getting close to a possible recession, but not confirmed and probably many months away. Let's break that down, shall we? What the hell is a yield curve? First of all, what exactly is the yield curve that everyone seems to be talking about lately and how is it tied to inflation, the Federal Reserve Board, and possible recession? The yield curve is basically a chart plotting all the current nominal not including inflation, nominal rates of each government-issued bond. Maturity is the term for a bond, and yield is the annual interest rate that a bond will pay the buyer. A normal yield curve chart typically looks like this, and there's a chart, which I will not describe, because there's a lot of good description here in the verbiage. This, the Fed sets what is called the federal funds rate, and this is the shortest interest rate you can get a quote on as it is the rate that the Fed suggests commercial banks borrow and lend their excess reserves to each other overnight. This rate is the benchmark that all other rates are priced from, or so in theory. <clears throat> as you can see, a, in a normal economic environment, the shorter the maturity of the bond, the lower the yield. This makes perfect sense in that the shorter the time committed to lending money to someone, the less interest you would charge them for that agreed lock-up period, or the term. So, how does this tell us anything about future economic downturns or possible recessions? That's where yield curve inversion comes into play, and that's what we're going to tackle next. When shorter-term bonds, like a three-month or a two-year, start to reflect higher yield than longer-term bonds, 10-year or even a 30-year bond, then we know there is expected trouble on the horizon. Basically, the market is telling you that investors are expecting rates to be lower in the future because of an economic slowdown or recession. So when you see something like this, and it shows a curve with, it shows a curve, all right, <clears throat> it shows a curve where the one-month bond, right, or the one, let's say the one-year bond is getting an interest rate of 1.77%, right? And the 30-year bond is getting 1.9% interest, right? So for one year, I can get 1.77%. But if I lock it up for 29 more years, I get a mere 1.9% or very much less, more, you know, very much less. And it gets slightly worse because a three-month bond, 
I can get 1.98% and loan my money out for a mere three months. But if I lock it up for 30 years, I get one one hundredth of a percent less in yield. That's sort of where we're going with the whole inversion thing. Anyway, the three-month and two-year bonds are yielding more than the 10-year bond is, and investors start to get nervous. You will also sometimes see it expressed like below, showing the actual spread between the two-year and 10-year interest rate. Notice the monetary inversion back in August of 2019 here. And again, another graph. But again, the, the, the proof is in the verbiage here. Why does this matter so much? And we're still talking about yield curve inversion. If it is just an indication or is it, is it, is it reality? Because inversion not only shows an expected downturn, but can actually wreak havoc in the lending markets themselves and cause problems for companies as well as consumers. When short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, consumers who have adjustable rate mortgages, home equity lines of credit, personal loans, and credit card debt will see payments go up because of the rise in short-term rates. Also, profit margins fall for companies that borrow at short-term rates and lend at long-term rates like many banks do. This spread collapsing causes a sharp downturn in profits for them, so they are less willing to lend at a reduced spread, and this only perpetuates borrowing problems for many consumers. It's a painful feedback loop for everyone. So what's yield curve control? Well, no surprise, the Fed has an answer to all this, don't they always, in the form of what we called yield curve control. This is basically the Fed setting a target level for rates, then entering the open market and buying short-term paper, also known as one-month to two-year bonds, and or selling long-term paper, the 10-year and 30-year bonds. The buying drives the short-term bond interest rates lower, and the selling drives the long-term bond interest rates higher, thereby normalizing the curve to a healthier state. This is what's called, in science, data manipulation. And people get in trouble for it. But apparently it's okay when the Fed does it. Whatever, continuing on. Of course, there's a cost to all this. With the likely expansion of the Fed's balance sheet and further expansion of the monetary supply, especially when the open market does not participate at the level necessary for the Fed to achieve its targeted goals. The result? Possible exacerbated inflation, even in the face of a contracting economy, which is what we call stagflation. Unless the control of the curve helps head off a pending recession, an economic expansion resumes. And that's a big if. So where does the euro dollar fit into all this? A euro dollar bond is a United States dollar denominated bond issued by a foreign company and held in a foreign bank outside both the United States and the issuer's home country. A bit confusing, as the prefix euro is a blanket reference to all foreign, not just European companies and banks. More importantly, in our context here, euro dollar futures are interest rate based futures contracts on the euro dollar with a three month maturity. To put it simply, these futures will trade at what the market expects United States three month interest rate levels will be in the future. They are an additional data point and indicator of when the market expects interest rates to peak. This is also known as the terminal rate of the Fed cycle. For instance, if the December 23, sorry, 
if the December 2023 Euro-dollar contract shows an implied rate of 2.3% and the rates decline to 2.1% in the March 2024 contract, then the expected peak for the Fed funds rate would be at the end of 2023 or early 2024. Simple as that and just another place to look for clues of what investors are thinking and expecting. So what can you do about it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Bitcoin. (laughs) Let's say you're watching rates closely and hearing that the Fed is going to start using yield curve control to manage the rate curve, thereby printing more money and in turn, likely causing more long-term inflation. And what if inflation somehow gets out of control? How do you protect yourself? It doesn't matter when you are reading this. As long as the world is still operating primarily with fiat, Bitcoin remains a hedge versus inflation and insurance against hyperinflation. I wrote a simply a simple but thorough thread about it here, and James Lavash gives a cl- clearly his Twitter thread on that. <clears throat> to identify the inflation hedge attributes of Bitcoin, it's simple really. Because Bitcoin is governed by a mathematical formula, the supply of Bitcoin is absolutely limited to 21 million total. Furthermore, if you truly, with a truly decentralized network, settled transactions and total number of Bitcoin to be minted will never change. Bitcoin is therefore immutable. In other words, Bitcoin is safe. Whether or not the price of Bitcoin is volatile in the short term doesn't matter as much as the fact that we know the value of the U.S. dollar continues to decline. And in the long term and in total, as the dollar declines, BTC appreciates. It is therefore a hedge against long-term inflation, if not just the U.S. dollar, but any government-issued fiat currency. The best part? Each single Bitcoin is made up of 100 million pennies, actually the smallest unit of a Bitcoin, and it's called a Satoshi, or SATs. And one can therefore buy as much or as little as they can or want in a single transaction. $5 or 500 million, you name it, Bitcoin can handle it. All right. So I hope you kind of learned a little bit something about yield curve control and inverted yield curves. I know I did, but again, what's going on here? Like all of us are, are literally, we're all running around learning shit that we should have learned in high school. But no, what, what I learned in high school was some mumbo jumbo about voodoo economics. Not how the actual system is plumbed, mind you, but how that plumbing was accessed by various political classes throughout time and what was done, but not the plumbing. How it works, how the Fed operates, how they manipulate the price of yield and what that means to bank loans, mortgages, short-term credit card interest. No, they never talked about that, did they? And they? And I guarantee you they sure as shit don't today. If they weren't doing it in the 80s, they ain't doing it in the 2020s. And all of us are running around learning what we should have learned in high school. And I, you know, in a way, it's very beautiful because we're all like, holy shit, we're, now we're all suddenly interested in, in, in the economy and how this shit works because it's all falling apart. When something falls apart, maybe it's human nature to go, I wonder how that thing was actually built. Maybe that will tell me more about how it's falling apart so horribly. Whether it's a train, you know, shuttle disintegrating in the upper atmosphere, 747 going down over the Pacific. You know, we're like, what? So what the hell happened? 
And then all of a sudden you start learning about what the black box is. And you start looking at, you know, oh, the plane flipped upside down at one point. Oh, there was a sheared bolt off of one of the ailerons. And it couldn't actually control a left-hand turn. Now, all of a sudden you start like you learned more about 747 mechanics than you did 15 minutes prior now, didn't you? It's amazing to watch this group of, of turned on plebs running around with tacos in one hand and economic text in the other hand and just figuring out the next fucking meme to release on the masses. And I it's just, it's a thing of beauty. And I wonder if this was anything like what happened in the Renaissance. But be that as it may, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Got a Thursday joke for you from Dad Says Jokes. What do you call a dad who studied dad jokes? A scientist. Yeah, that's a good dad joke for you. All right, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Go grab any one of the myriad manifold Podcasting 2.0 apps. Look for the Bitcoin and podcast. Fill up the Lightning wallet that is on board with that podcasting app, and you can start streaming me Satoshis, and it comes directly to my node without anybody in between. And that's my favorite way to support the show. But if you want to do it through the dirty, nasty legacy financial system, I understand that. I understand that. I get it. So I've got a Patreon.com set up. That's Patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. That's forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And understand, understand this. When If you're going to cut me fi, uh, uh, fiat money through the uh, Patreon.com, I sweep that at the end of every month. And guess what happens to it? That's right. It gets turned into Bitcoin. I don't take part of it as cash. I don't take, you know, most of it as cash. I don't even take a tiny little bit of it as cash. No, it goes to strike and it immediately gets converted into 100% Bitcoin. It's immediate and it's irrevocable. It never is ever, 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 ever going to go back to fiat. And at one point or another, I am going to have to open up another lightning channel or another payment channel on my lightning node because all you guys that are supporting the show through podcasting 2.0, that stays on my lightning, on my lightning node. And when I have enough, I'm get, I get to open up yet one more payment channel. See how that works. So I don't really plan on converting that into cash. However, in a few, uh, few months, maybe, I think I'm going to spin up yet another lightning node. And I'm going to be asking for like, you know, people to open channels with me and I may convert these channels over. I don't know. It it doesn't matter. Kind of. I mean, I just think that having a second lightning node may be to the benefit of uh, certainly myself, certainly to the Bitcoin network, certainly to the lightning network and certainly for the future of humanity. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.